Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. The EU has talked about issuing new bonds to protect its eastern borders against Russia and to prepare Europe for a future without reliance on Russian oil and gas. Now, normally, bonds are issued by individual countries. Over the last couple of years, we have seen the ECB buying up lots of those individual sovereign bonds as part of their QE program or their asset purchase program, as they call it. Even when they faced extra spending to cope with the pandemic, their pandemic emergency purchase program was still from the ECB. It was the ECB buying up bonds issued by individual countries. But could it be different this time? Could the ECB be the bond issuer with the debt it creates used to fund its own centralised budget. Imagine how much that would change things. Uh, we'll look at that today on the Debunking Economics podcast with Professor Steve Keane. I'm Phil Dobby. Welcome along. Well, the European Central Bank now holds more than three trillion euros in bonds, primarily government bonds, so government debt that has been monetized by the by the central bank. The aim is to stop buying them and at some point start reselling those bonds on the open market uh, to, to bring down their balance sheet, in other words. The Federal Reserve in the United States holds 5.7 trillion in government bonds, again with the intention that some at least will be sold off and removed from their balance sheet. But can they be sold off without hurting the economy? That's one question, because it's been tried in the past without any great success. And does this mean governments can no longer rack up debt at the levels we've seen through the COVID crisis? Is the cupboard now bare, in other words, as we try and deal with climate change, which is a much bigger crisis, and the impact of a world which has now been disunited by war? Well, Europe wants to look at issuing new bonds to help arm itself against the hostile East to remove their dependency on Russian oil and gas. So presumably that means by investing in greener sources of energy. So there's lots of questions here, Steve. But the fact is they have spent so much already. Does that mean they can't do the same again? Is is the cupboard so bare, in other words, that they can't do more? Um, well, the cupboard, that's the usual analogy of a cupboard, you know, which if you put stuff in and you, you then take it out and when it gets to be empty, you can't do any more. And the cupboard's the wrong a- a- analogy for any country that issues its own currency. Uh, it's more like the factory. And, the, and, the, and what, mm. what are the inputs you need for the factory? Uh, you simply need to have a government whose currency is accepted uh, as, as the currency for that region. So if you, you know, tick, you have a treasury, tick, you have a central bank, and tick, you have uh, a currency that you issue, which is, uh, you know, which is denominated in your currency, then you can do it indefinitely. That's, that's, that, those are the productive forces you need. So for America, and with, we've seen this with the, with, um, the uh, Japanese, of course, because when you look at the level of uh, Japanese government debt now, which is fundamentally that is really bonds issued by the government to um, back the deficits the government has run. You now we're looking at 2.6 times GDP, a government inverted commas debt to GDP ratio of 2.6 or 
260%. So that's far in excess of what America currently has, which is running just over 100%. So empirically, there's no, no problem with the continuing to do it. And technically, there's no problem. It's much more of an issue for the European Union. Uh, but in terms of any, of course, the European Union countries don't have their own currency and can't issue uh, can't issue that currency they don't, they don't have. They've got to rely upon the European Union doing it. That makes it a more complicated process. But the stagnation, but no, the stagnation in the Japanese, just on that point though, the stagnation in the Japanese economy, how much of that is to do with the fact that they have monetized so much debt or is it, is it other factors like the fact they've got an aging population it's, and they're it's, not, it's, uh, it's the same, they've got no migration? It's the same old thing that's being ignored by mainstream economics all the way through. It's private credit. That's what caused the stagnation. When you look back and see what, it actually, what actually caused the Japanese economy to go from boom to bust, it was the end of the period that Japanese themselves literally called the bubble economy phase from 1980 to 1990, when you had an incredible increase in the value of the Nikkei, incredible increase in the price of uh, real estate in uh, Japan to the point at which you know, the, the classic statement was the, the land area of the um, Imperial Palace in Tokyo, which I think is about um, uh, like about if I, you know, four or five square miles. I mean, it's, people, people go for lunchtime runs around the Royal Palace. So, you know, it's got to be less than, uh, you know, the, the distance has to be less than 10 miles or more like about 10, 10 kilometre circumference. That was worth more than California if you could have sold the land. Um, so you had this ludicrous overvaluation, and then it all collapsed literally on the 31st of December of 1989, and you had the long plunge after that. And when I take a look at the change in, in Japanese private debt and correlate that against the level of unemployment, the correlation is almost like a, like a Rorschach plot. Uh, th I think the correlation coefficient between Credit, which is the change in annual change in private debt and unemployment in Japan, it's about minus 0.9, and you can't get much closer to one out of that. Now that's ignored by the mainstream. That's what caused the downturn. And if you look at the level of private debt, it went from about 225 percent of GDP in the peak in I think about 1992 or three, and it's come down to 170 percent of GDP. And that's much the same ballpark that the rest of the world is in now, including America, is the level of private private debt. <clears throat> so that, that stagnation period is over for the Japanese economy. They're bouncing along with some level of, in terms of per capita growth, I think higher than America is doing. So no. it, is, it is the same old story. It's not government debt, it's the private debt. And the scale of government um, spending uh, counteracted the negative effect of negative credit in Japan for that length of time. So if it hadn't happened, and Richard Kuag is this quite eloquently and quite in quite detailed way as well, if the Japanese hadn't done that, then you would have a much more stagnant economy than you've actually right. got. So it's been it's, it, it's been an injection into the economy which has helped them uh, get out of that debt because I guess there's more money swilling around, people are earning more, uh, and as the as the economy grows, you can you can people can start to pay off that that. Price. Private debt. That's that's what you're fundamentally. You've got when you have credit going negative, you've got money being taken out of the economy, and so yeah. in reverse, the government running a so deficit put, puts put money back money in, in again. Yeah, it's yeah. it's a clumsy yeah. way to do it. It's, they should have directed you know directly attacked the level of private debt, which is my argument for a, a private debt jubilee. But you know, in a, in a clumsy way, the Japanese have done the same thing by a dramatic increase in government debt. Well, it's it's almost like what's happened everywhere, isn't it, with COVID? That if if the government hadn't pumped pump money in, then people would be heavily in debt. The fact is, we avoid, oh, yeah. we avoided that heavy debt stage. 
by spending government money. But the um, but but yeah, so we get back to that fundamental question: the government has spent so much, they can keep on doing it. The is your point because they because uh, they've got that ability to, to produce their own currency, but uh, or or bonds in their own currency. But it's more complicated for Europe, isn't it? I mean, it's fairly straightforward for America and the UK. Uh, the, the only complication there is the politics of convincing people that they can create more money, uh, but uh, or more bonds, I should say. But what about uh, what about in Europe, where you've got multiple countries, same currency but multiple countries? Doesn't that complicate it? Yeah, it does dramatically. I mean, if you look at, and I'm, I'm going to have to model this properly. As you and I both know we had a crack at this before we started talking, and it, it, it obviously we've got to uh, take yet more detailed look at it. But the fundamental situation for a, a country issuing its own currency is you have to have four separate sets of accounts to work out what's going on. So the treasury uh, is the one that actually runs the deficit. That deficit yep. then means, which is part of the e, the EU's treasury, in other well, words. Well, that, yep. no, that, let's go for let's go for America first of all, and then talk about. Oh, what, okay. Yeah, okay. Added, okay. Yeah. Okay. So you have the the the, the American treasury runs a deficit. That deficit injects money into reserve accounts of the private banks at the Fed, and it also puts money in the deposit accounts of the public at the private banks, um, and then those those reserves which. Uh, balance the money that's being put into people's accounts by the deficit, those reserves are used to buy the bonds that are issued by the Treasury. So uh, the it's a very relatively straightforward process that the deficit itself creates excess reserves as well as creating deposits. When the Treasury sells bonds, those bonds are purchased using the excess reserves. So right. It, it, so it, this it, is the, let's yeah. go. Let's go through this. Cause we're going to have to repeat everything twice in this because uh-huh. it does get complicated, yeah. doesn't it? But let's say there's a let's say it's a, bi- a billion pounds uh, which is issued in bonds by the Treasury uh, in the uh, in the United States. That that billion pounds. Let's make a billion dollars in, here, mate. We've got to get a currency. billion dollars. Sorry, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now, if this is the, in the future, Britain's taking over the world. Uh, so billion dollars uh, goes into the individual bank accounts of uh, of Americans. Uh-huh. Uh, and uh, okay, and it's also, so, but it's also sitting there in the uh, in the yeah. reserves because yeah. because okay, you put you put a billion pounds in, it goes, but basically that's cash that goes into people's bank accounts. They're, those the banks that are holding that billion pounds use that cash to uh, add to their reserves, mm. and they they use those reserves then to buy that billion dollars worth of bonds. Yeah, yeah, and then the way that the bonds turn up, and as you were talking about in the beginning here, about the bonds turning up in the central bank. The central bank then goes and buys those bonds off the private banks, but it also buys them off non-banks. And this is an important part of the whole process, that uh, when uh, when when private private banks working through in America's, uh, working through what they call the primary dealer network, when they buy those treasury bonds, they then will sell a large slab of those bonds to the non-bank uh, public. Now, that non-bank includes shadow banks. It includes insurance companies, pensions, funds, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, who then also buy those bonds. So when, when you get the reverse process where the central bank tries to buy the bonds back uh, in, a, in an attempt to stimulate the economy, as well as buying it off the uh, private banks, which is just an asset swap, the, the reserves of the private banks go down, their bond holdings go up, there's no change in the overall assets of the private banks, and therefore there's no change in the amount of money in the economy in either. When the central bank 
buys the bonds off non-banks, which it can also do and it is doing, and it's not just buying treasuries, it's also buying mortgage-backed securities off these, you know, the, mm-hmm. for, for a broad term, the shadow banking sector, the sectors which are like banks but, aren't, don't, but don't actually have accounts at the, the central bank. When they do yeah. that, that creates... Uh, that adds reserves to the private banks. So you've got the assets of the private banking sector rising. It adds cash to the deposit accounts, effectively, of the shadow banks at the private banks. So they've now got more money there. That, uh, so what you've got a creation of money in the financial sector. Mm. You're not creating it in the broader economy. Because it's not reserved. It's not reserved money. It's real money. It's real money. Yeah. So it can can go and circulate in the economy. Right. Okay. But it circulates so, in the financial sector, which means it ends up being bought, used to buy financial assets primarily, and then mm. you know it'll feed back into you know, if, when you people get paid their bonuses and so on and their ridiculous salaries, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. And when they buy goods and services off the real economy, uh, you know, uh, then you will get a feed through into the physical economy as well, but it primarily increases the amount of money in circulation in the finance sector. Right. Well, and we're going off on a bit of a tangent now about the evils of QE, aren't we? But it, that, mm. that, that sort of explains then why uh, why we see so much um, asset price inflation, particularly shares, yeah. doesn't it? And and also why we've seen during uh, the last couple of years the, the, the velocity of money just, just fall by a staggering amount which is you'd say say, well might be because people can't go anywhere and spend it but a large part of it is probably because it's got stuck in the finance sector because of uh, because of qe yeah so okay that that's the that's the united states so let's go through it with the uh the eu wanting to issue these these new bonds then which the bonds would be issued by the eu Mm -hmm. they do it in different ways don't they so they had the um uh, the things like the the PEP, the um, Pandemic Emergency Purchase Program, which was an ECB initiative where they were buying up bonds that have been issued by the individual countries. But I think what they're talking about here is a very different thing, where the EU issues bonds, and they've talked about it before the uh, before the war. They talked about it for green bonds and how they need to move in that direction. But now they're talking about that. Plus, you know, how do we how do we protect ourselves against? Uh, Eastern Europe aggression and, and are not their, their dependency on Russian oil and gas. So this would be different to uh, purchase programs by the ECB, at least in, at the beginning of it, because the EU issues the bonds. So let's go through that then. The EU Treasury, whatever it's called, issues a trillion euros of of bonds. For example, to, uh, had I mean, it's complicated, isn't it? But let's talk through that briefly well the, the reason it's complicated is that you know countries in the european union have their own treasuries and have their own central banks but not their own currency yeah. so they are not in a position to be able to issue the currency um, so if they want to spend they've got to get euros and to get euros who can create euros that's the european union and the european central bank um, so uh, or they've got to tax the euros off their own populace to be able to have to be able to spend, which is the vision that most people have of, of, of real, um, you know, real countries like America and the UK and so on, rather than artificial ones like the European Union. So the constraints that the people think real countries exist under are the constraints that apply in the European Union. But to actually map right. it out, I mean, it, 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 this, this is to repeat. Probably not, it's not, not, not something we can do in detail, probably, in a... In a in, no, but it adds, it, it adds two extra layers of complexity. So with a normal country, you have its treasury, its central bank, uh, 
private banks who have reserves at its central bank and citizens who have their deposit accounts at the private banks. With the European Central with, with the European system, you've got another two elements above that, the Treasury of the European Union and the European mm. Central Bank. And then uh, because the European Union doesn't itself spend a great deal, it does do some spending, as you were saying earlier, but it doesn't spend on the scale of the national treasuries, it has to uh, issue, issue bonds which are then purchased by the banks of the European Union, but those banks have their reserves at the um, central at the central banks of each of the countries, and so you've got yeah. rather than like a, 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 a four layer structure, you've got a six layer candelabra of the whole damn thing, and <laughs> it it it's, um, it can be done. The European Union the Europe, has the freedom to create those euros, but to actually be able to do it from the bond issuing point of view, it's somehow got to get those reserves in euros into the bank accounts or into the reserve accounts of private banks at the national level central banks. And that's, it's, you know, we tried to do it in right. 20 minutes before. It's complicated. So we're going to have a crack at it. That is complicated. Before we but it can, yeah, but, it, but, but the fact is it can be done, can't mm, it? Yeah, which, it can be which done. Which is... So, so you have a, a a body here which is representing a multitude of countries that can, with with, with its own central bank, can issue its own uh, bonds out of uh, uh, adding money that's going to go into their central bank account at the ECB, which can then be distributed out and find its way through the uh, central banks of each individual country into private banks uh, of of individuals who can then spend it. So mm-hmm. the money creation process is possible i wonder when we were talking a year ago two ago we might have said we might have fallen in the trap of saying well it's actually not possible because you've got individual sovereign currencies but it, it looks like it can mm. but which and it looks like and it, and it looks like the ecb is sort of move it's not the ecb so easy to get confused looks like the eu is sort of moving in that direction which is a a bit of a big step, isn't it? It is a big EU? step. I mean, for the past, when you, when you look at how it was uh, worked beforehand, uh, this this works from the top down. It doesn't work from the bottom up. So if you're an individual mm. country and you want to um, do more government spending, uh, you can't do it unless you have the taxation to raise those euros out of your own private citizens or you have a trade surplus, which is the situation for Germany. Um, but... Uh, but it, it does work from the top down. The European Central Bank and the and the European Union together can create euros. It's then a, a more complicated process of getting that down to the bottom level. But this is what they've been refusing to do uh, under the whole um, uh, you know last twenty years of the European Union because of this auto liberal belief that it's bad for the government to run a deficit, bad for the government to accumulate debt. So they haven't been doing it and, and they've been therefore constricting their own national economies by not enabling them to do it, giving all the limitations and rules of the Maastricht Treaty. But this time round, they, they are doing the top-down spending and therefore we have to say, well, what's the mechanics of that? And that's going to be something we finish in a, a later podcast. And and the so look forward to that one, people. Because <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, it is complicated. But um, just trying to simplify the whole process, though, <clears throat> does it how that money is actually spent? Say I, I you know, I'm a, a Greek company uh, with a great idea, and uh, and I need some money to be able to produce this uh, this, this new technology, which is going to uh, make energy that much more efficient. Uh, that Greek company uh, needs money from the EU. 
um, because it's new money, because normally what the EU struggled with this, how do they apportion their spending? And it tends to be, well, okay, let's just do it based on proportion of uh, the population, which is pretty much what they did with the, the pandemic emergency uh, program. So the, uh, which is the central bank. So they hold 1.7 trillion euros of bonds in what's called the pandemic emergency purchase program. Uh, and uh, a quarter of that is them uh, rebuying up German government debt because that's roughly uh, it's a bit over the top uh, uh, the, the, that number but it's, it's roughly about you know the equivalent of their, their size of their population versus the whole EU population mm. um, so if it was Finland for example uh, it, it would be it would be a lot less or Greece but if I was a Greek company uh, and I said, OK, I've got this marvellous idea, I need uh, I, I need a trillion uh, euros because I have this great idea about how we're going to make energy more efficient. If it's new money, no one's going to care, are they, if it's if it's got a pan-European benefit. If, if a country says, look, we've got the great solution here, uh, let's, let's give this money to this company, you don't need to worry about uh, how that money is, is apportioned if it's got a pan-European benefit. And the benefit, obviously, is one of defence and greening the economy. Well, the pan, I mean, it, only if it actually is genuinely appears to be pan-European. So if you look at, you know, what was uh, Dantianus, Varoufakis and Greece uh, when they were crucifying Greece uh, back in the financial mm. crisis, uh, because what the, the, the spending that the Greeks wanted to do was going to benefit Greeks. No, 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 Germans wouldn't agree to it. Um, so in this particular case, because you can see like a European threat, oh, my God, we've got to defend ourselves against Russia. Um, with that attitude, yeah. then it can be accepted by all this. There's, there's none of the national bickering that the euro, that the euro generated. Uh, in well, that they're, they're going to want... if. Uh- Exactly. If it goes into if it, if it goes into defence, there's going to be Finland, Estonia, Latvia, Lithuania, Poland. You know that whole EU Russian front line uh, beefing up the military, isn't it? I mean, that's where a lot of that focus of spending is going to go. Mm-hmm. But the attitude of those right, on the other side way. of the line, well, that's great. It means we don't have to. You 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 face a potential invasion. We don't. Um, so mm. you know, I, I can see it being accepted um, in a way that wouldn't happen if you were talking about. You know, even infrastructure projects that begin in a particular country. Why? Why start there? Why not start with us? Um, that sort of bickering won't apply with this with, uh, with this particular spending. Yeah, but also the fact is that it's new money that's yeah. being created. So it's so if this if this company in Greece, forget the defence side of it, which is all a bit ugly, and it's horrible that you know we, we think that the, the the upshot of all of this is going to be. That we're just going to make that border with Russia, uh, you know, an even, an even thicker line with arms on both sides pointing at each other. I mean, what a horrific concept that is! But you can mm. see that's the way we're going. But let's look at the slightly happier side, where we're trying to save the planet and all live uh, in harmony and peace without destroying the place in which we live. Uh, wouldn't that be lovely? We should, um, and uh, and we can all uh, uh, look at the butterflies and uh, and sing to I each other. And, them. Uh, yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, but what a beautiful world we're looking at now. So in this beautiful world, where the EU is uh, is spending money on good things um I, you know i've completely lost my train of thought i was just thinking how lovely it was going to be there uh, but now if they, so if they're spending money on stuff that's of, 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 a, of a benefit it's less important isn't it arguing about how it's spread regionally uh, and everyone is getting a proportionate amount if we find that the eu can just create more money i mean so this great idea that comes from uh, uh from greece German investors can buy those bonds if they think it's a good idea. They can, inv- they, you know, it's like they're investing in they're investing in Greece. There's no. I'm just wondering whether that once you accept the fact that this is new money, new created on a pan-European basis, 
doesn't that regionalism argument fall? I can see where it falls where you're saying, well, okay, how many German bonds are we going to buy versus Italian bonds versus German bonds? Because that's buying up uh, from from their own individual banks. But if this is a pan-European project and you can create as much new money as you wanted, then surely you just go, whoever's got a great idea. So it's, it, we're not going to do the regional split. We're going to do it based on whoever's, whichever countries have got companies that are going to produce something that is worth us buying. Or, or it's the, you know, the, the whole defence thing. It's, uh, you know, you, you spend it, the, you, you regard as a pan-European defence rather than defence of individual countries within Europe. That's where this money is actually going to be going. So it, it does, I mean, I'll have to go through and confirm by doing a proper set of six interacting godly tables in Minsky and working out what the logic is of, of how this money is actually generated and who gets to spend it as well. This is the other thing because... Um, if we're talking about the European Union wanting to do spending at the European level, then the mechanics would be very different when you're talking about the spending being done by the Treasury of France. That, yeah. And doesn't that change stuff? I don't know. Doesn't that change the whole... Yeah. I'm putting, I mean, irrespective yeah. of the mechanics of it, assuming it can work that way, the EU all of a sudden says, uh, well, OK, we've got a pan-European budget here. Which is uh, which is not the case of us just pushing money into uh, individual countries to spend. There's a um, you know we're we're going to buy stuff as a as a European entity. And then what? You, and, and, and this is in in sense when you look at uh, objections that were made to the whole formation of the European Union in the first place. One of them was made by uh, actually made by both Wynne Godley and Milton Friedman, and that is that the actual spending at the national level is quite trivial. Uh, like the, at, the, at the European level is quite trivial, where the spending at the country level is quite large. But if you look at America, it's the other way around. The spending is mainly the federal government. The states have a smaller amount of spending. Um, and and in, in that situation, you, uh, you one of the arguments that, again, both, mm. both Godley and Friedman made was that you would only be able to succeed in creating the, Euro- the, the, the European Union if the spending of the centre became much larger than the spending of the states. Now, if you're looking yeah. at this as defence spending, that could well that's going in that direction, um, and so it is, is a significant change in the nature of the European Union to be even considering this. Yeah, and the practicalities of it look like it it could happen operating exactly the same way, except for those extra layers, as you mentioned. To what's happening, but you wouldn't have necessarily have those extra layers if the, if the if the spending was coming centralised. You know, if you if you're not passing the money on into the individual bank accounts of uh, uh, of individual countries, and you know you are it's all centralised spending, then maybe you lose those two. If it's if it's a case of the ECB, uh, the EU is is issuing bonds uh, it, it, it from their uh, ECB bank account, and then they're spending it. Uh, rather than passing it on to individual countries, then it starts to behave the same as a as a single entity, doesn't it? As a single country, but it's but it's still got that yeah. whole thing. It's got to get down to the level of, of private banks, where the private banks have their reserves at a country level, not at the EU level. All ah, right, okay. yeah, yeah. So okay. it's still so do, it's still yeah. got a complication to it. Like it's, this is an intriguing. I didn't need this problem before I start trying to run for election in the next ten weeks, mate. But nonetheless, <laughs> uh, I, I might set aside a couple okay. of hours and try to actually lo- logically lay it out and see how it actually works. And as you say, there are two right. levels of spending. The European Union could spend, if you're looking at them, you know, building up a, a military force at the European Union level. And then the, the, mm. you could also be, you're going to be buying goods and services off country off companies which operate at the national level. So you're buying, you know, yeah, French yeah. missiles and, you know, 
Uh, so the the geopolitics of this is, I mean, aside from the military side of it, just the idea that we, you know we could be one step closer to United States of Europe because the because the, the European Union could have a centralized budget which actually dwarfs the individual countries' budgets. Or at least which, compares uh, to it, which is feasible. Yeah. Yeah. So what to, just a final question on all of this then. So what does this do if they're issuing all of these extra bonds? What does this do to bond yields? Because if you've got more bonds available, then de- the demand for e- I mean, there's always going to demand, isn't there, for, for government well, they bonds? Cre- but this, this, but this, again, but again, looking at a national the price- level, they, the, 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 creation, the running of the deficit creates the reserves that are used to buy the bonds. So there's never a problem yeah. of actually raising the money. It's a question of how much they it's pay for them. Because so if there's more of them, prices are going to fall. That's going to push the yields up, which, um, we, you know, which is a good thing if central banks want to push up interest rates, I guess. But the um, other, the other, hard, this is the other. Hard to do that. Bond yields are very low, but, which has been. But the other, now the other side of it is you, you, you have because the actual uh, government spending creates the reserves that are used to buy the bonds. Uh, there is no shortage of money to buy it, and what you're doing, you're offering a, you know, a swap from a non-income earning, non-tradable asset to an income earning, tradable asset. Uh, the rate that can they'll be, always do it. They'll always do it, and the question is, what's it doing to the money supply in Europe? Now, if you've got this extra government spending being done, then the non-government sector has more money in their accounts. So, in in that sense, in terms of a private. Uh, demand for money, your willingness to pay a high interest rate is going to decline because the money is being created by the government anyway. So again, this is the point that modern monetary theory makes, and it's still correct even in this situation, that a government deficit is more likely to lower interest rates rather than rise than raise them, because you're not taking money from away from the private sector, which is the way the mainstream thinks about this. You're injecting money into the private sector, and therefore, if there is a you know a given demand for money, more of it's being fulfilled by the deficit itself. You don't need to borrow as much, so the impact of these extra bonds could be to drive rates down. And, um, and the, not to drive them up. And the reason this doesn't have an inflationary impact if the economy is growing but the government keeps on spending? Well, no, it could, a, could, it could big, have an inflationary impact. And this is the other thing. With uh, The inflation we're getting now is unlike any form of inflation actually outside, as somebody, somebody actually said today on Twitter, outside things like the Weimar Republic because what we're seeing is a destruction of physical resources. You've got the, mm. you know, I mean, if you imagine to have a, if, if after this whole thing, Ukraine becomes part of the European Union, hopefully not NATO, but European Union, um, then there'll be a reconstruction program in Ukraine, uh, which will mean a large amount of spending in Ukraine to rebuild the infrastructure that's been destroyed uh, by this process. But if you try to maintain the same level of economic activity with that destroyed infrastructure, then that's right. that's puts you in the Weimar situation. Because because you don't have the resources to meet the demand, yeah, which is trying to make pretty up. much what's... Yeah, you've got actually... Which is pretty much what we're, exactly what we're seeing globally, that we are trying to... Uh, consume what can't be produced because of all the supply chain disruption, and that's Same one in. of the problems. And that's that, that's that's the reason that you know, I've normally, you know, somebody been arguing that deflation is the overall trend of capitalism, um, but that deflation uh, was amplified by globalization. So you relocated production to third world countries and took advantage of low wages there, and got the incredibly fragile supply chain we're now seeing breaking down and you also had a reliance upon cheap minerals and cheap uh, energy inputs and that's also disappearing so with those things going then we're going to get inflationary pressure coming out of um, the supply shortages that are a necessary side effect of global warming and climate change 
So final question on these these bonds then, the EU issues them. There's absolutely no reason really, is there, for the for the central bank? I mean, that just complicates it even more if they start buying them back. I mean, they can just issue these bonds. They can be bought by banks. There's enough of them across, mm. across Europe and some of the non-bank sector, as you mentioned earlier. There's no reason for the ECB to say, well, we're going to start buying these up unless they are concerned about... Uh, Bond yields. Yeah, and the, it's it's not so much the bond yields that it gets controlled. If you have the if the central bank is buying the bonds off the the shadow banking sector, I'm including pension funds and insurance companies and all that sort of stuff in there who take out portfolio positions in shares. Uh, if you if you if you're if, if you're buying the bonds off them, then you're giving them um, deposits at the private bank, so you're creating money and doing it. But they can only then use that money for buying other financial assets. So you're actually causing more asset price inflation mm-hmm. and having very little effect on, on the real economy. Which is the big problem with QE, so no need to do it. Um, okay, but the, certainly the Europe can issue bonds. It looks like they're going to do it and it's going to be a game changer. I think that's the, uh, that, that's the summation of today, isn't it? Been an interesting one. Good to talk, Steve. We'll catch you again next week. Okay, yep. And Steve mentioned the Weimar Republic there and inflation getting out of control. How close are we to that happening in the world now? It's certainly rising is it we'll look we'll look at the uh, causes of inflation and whether it can be controlled next week on the debunking economics podcast with professor steve keen i'm phil dobby i'll be back then too thanks for listening mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for mother's day than whole foods market they're your destination for unbeatable savings from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. If you've enjoyed listening to Debunking Economics, uh, even if you haven't, you might also enjoy The Y Curve. Each week, Roger Hearing and I talk to a guest about a topic that is very much in the news that week. It's lively, it's fun, it's informative. What more could you want? So search The Y Curve in your favourite podcast app or go to ycurve.com to listen.